we are um, so excited to have you as a guest curator in Live Dreams this um, this year. Um, just wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about your work at the basement, uh, what you do there and, and the program. Um, yeah, well, I kind of, I started the basement as a, is a space for independent artists together and it's a really accessible and probably the cheapest space in Auckland <laughs> to do so and as such it really um, lends itself towards experimental artists who are interested in performance in Tamaki Makoro and I was one of those artists I am one of those artists so mostly my journey with basement has started with being an artist and then in the last couple of years I've been super privileged to take on the programming role which I kind of see more as a role that is about caring for the caring for independent arts and and the sustainability of the future of it, not just in a financial sense, but in mm -hmm. um, the sense of its spirit as well. And so, yeah, I feel like um, my main job is to take care of artists. Yeah, it's such an important. Sure that they look great. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an important part of curating, isn't it? I mean, especially right now, um, where you know all of our worlds are in crisis, and it's having such a big impact on. Um, on the arts and I'm reminded that, you know, um, curating, you know, the origin of the, the word is about care and, you know, was about caring for objects in museums. Um, yeah. But, you know, that sort of how it translates into performance um, and particularly in this moment of the pandemic and, and so many intersecting crises, um, I think that role of care has really come to the fore again for what we do and it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another huge part, another huge part of um, the job at Basement is to try and figure out how to do that, especially for we 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 use the term vital voices, and by vital voices we mean those voices who have been historically othered or historically ignored by a patriarchal Western colonial kind of context, which is mm. where New Zealand sits. Um, and so that's a real that's a real challenge, especially when you're when you're caring for artists, but you're also like, I don't know if you feel this, you're also in this conundrum of like trying to convince them to risk their own money by putting mm -hmm. something on. And you know that an artist is just moved to ritualize or some moment in in movement or in words with witnesses who are audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I often wonder if given the option they would, um, they they would or would not attach a price to that. And yeah, I'm sort of struggling with the economics of it, especially in a pandemic, which is like, um, you know, posing these restrictions of, uh, especially around audience numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you're already a vital voice who has struggled to kind of like um, carve out your own space or take up space, Mm. It, it kind of it, it just all sorts of sort of builds up <laughs> yeah I think it really yeah. makes you aware of your responsibilities as a curator and a programmer and um that mindfulness about you know where you put your resources and that also you know that sort of there is a lot of you know the remuneration proper remuneration is so fundamental to um to how we care for artists but there are all sorts of other forms of care which is really about sort of um understanding the work and 
understanding the artist's intention and and trying to honor that with the way that you present the work, which is, you know, I think a, a sort of um, it's it's the most critically important factor for me. But it's sort of it's something that um, I guess is sort of a bit invisible when an audience sees the work as well. Yeah, for um, the kind of the work that we're doing at Basement is really about um, trying to figure out how to not only have that sort of work that you're describing present on stage, like you say, it's invisible. And so it's really about looking at our structures and how we do things and kind of interrogating a lot of the inherited colonial kind of forms of of making and housing art. So like a really cool example might be just constantly looking at our contracts Mm. and making sure that that contract is there to care for both the artists, to protect both the artists and the institution. And once you start looking at that legalese language, you, you go, oh, wow, this is really built to kind of confound artists, say, like, yeah. to make them kind of give up on fighting for any kind of a right. Oh, it makes so, me want to give up most of the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so we really kind of try and take quite a deep approach to it and interrogate those systems quite deeply. Like something that we've just started doing is making sure that we have um, Te Reo Māori classes every week that are that is tied into our work week so that it's not just this thing that you're practicing outside in a voluntary capacity but something that's seen as like completely integral to the way that you approach and talk with artists and all that kind of all those unseen things I like to call them micro kindnesses rather than microaggressions is uh-huh. like a way that I like to work is for every microaggression have a micro kindness which might be um, in the way that our bar manager treats his um, patrons or in the way that um, the audiences are treated or the artists are treated or, you know, making sure they have plenty of food in their dressing room or something like that to kind of um, combat <laughs> the mm. aggression kindness. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of micro kindnesses because it also makes that work of decolonization, which can sometimes feel so big and scary and insurmountable, you know, as a, as a concept, it makes it um, a series of actions that are within your reach really. And things that we can all sort of do and implement every day to sort of chip away at that work. It's, it's, it's really excellent. Um, I'm wondering if you can um, tell us a little bit about the experimental performance scene in um, Auckland and, and, you know, um, what about it? you know well I don't I don't really know what I'm asking um just you know maybe describe uh, what the experimental performance scene is like and and what draws your interest as a curator there well it's yeah the the scene here there's a there's a really cool experimental performance scene in the whole of New Zealand and in Auckland mm. um we have an incredible scene for sound art mm. for sure yeah. that is um pretty internationally recognized and our experimental dance um, scene is really really exciting as well but it's interesting in the kind of like history and lineage of performance art in Aotearoa that we um, are kind of at this really crucial point and I think part of it is because of um, the nature of Te Tiriti, the Treaty of Waitangi and, and the struggle of Aotearoa to really try and grapple with being a bicultural society and grapple with 
notions of decolonization and and that kind of stuff that um i find in myself and and in artists generally we're really kind of like um uh talking about um rather than decol we're talking about re-indigenizing processes mm. and we're starting to realize um that the art that has been created by maori and polynesian artists already came already come with such a kind of natural experimental sensibility mm. and so um yeah for me myself i'm really at this like crucial little questioning point where all of my experimental heroes either from new zealand or from the uk or from america have been these these white kind of like definitions of what experimental or live mm. art is and we're starting to realize in myself as an indian as a person from new delhi starting to go like actually um, we had those tools all along of being able to work collectively or these things like one-on-one -on -one or art as activism have been in the lifeblood of people of color and indigenous people for so long mm -hmm. and so I think there's a certain amount of reclaiming in that space yeah and a real beautiful surge of queer brown work coming out and just kind of like absolutely surpassing everyone, which they should, because they're the actual literal future. <laughs> <laughs> we we love that, and I you know, yeah. <laughs> I think you've helped me introduce you. You've helped introduce me to that aspect of the the Aotearoan, um experimental performance scene. The times that I've visited, and um, uh, and it's just so exciting to see that resurgence and and those ideas of like you know, I guess. Um, re-indigenizing and reclaiming that kind of um, artistic and cultural lineage that was always there that was perhaps yeah. you know um, overlooked um, and that also really um, actually informs your approach to live dreams and um, the the theme of ancestry that you've you've brought into to your stream yeah. as well yeah I feel like it's purely selfish <laughs> <laughs> and like <laughs> really really subjective <laughs> which is interesting because I think like you know I think the role of the curator in in that kind of like very like if I think about it in that kind of like white cube white white wall gallery space in that very kind of like cool distanced way of practicing art which kind of begs a kind of like objectivity mm you know, objectivity for me is a really kind of, it's quite a loaded word because as a brown woman, I kind of go, oh, objectivity is something that um, white men or just men generally mm. have historically practiced over me to try and win arguments mm. and proclaimed that they are objective, but I can't be objective. So I find it kind of loaded in that way. And I also, it just makes me think of Ayn Rand, who is, who I would say is like the godmother of capitalism, right? And I'm yeah. just not about that. It's trash. Yeah. Total trash. So I'm like, <laughs> why should we practice objectivism in as something to aspire to as curators or as artists when our role is really to care and to care for someone is to be really tied up personally with them? Hmm. and with yourself so I guess it all comes from me trying to care for myself <laughs> yeah I yeah. really I sort of understand that from uh, you know uh you know being a, a person of color and a queer person and um you know why should we be expected to erase that 
you know, experience in our work and um, in sort of, you know, and whose idea of excellence are we conforming to when we talk about excellence and, and artistic value? And I think, you know, this is a conversation about resetting those terms of engagement with the world and um, resetting our terms of engagement with art and with artists in a way to, to find, um, to privilege those vital voices and to, you know, reset that cultural conversation that art is always a part of. Like, I think, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I think in my, yeah, in my own experimental practice, I remember using it really like quite, I did use it as a distancing tool because I was really um, sick of being stereo, being, I, my background is as an actor. And so I was constantly stereotyped and put in tokenistic roles and, and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of use experimental practice as a way to go. This is a space where I can be, where I don't have to be a young Indian woman. I can be just a person who's spouting whatever she thinks about astrophysics mm. and that is allowed um but now having sort of been ensconced in that practice and that scene for um about 15 years I feel like there like I say it is a crucial moment or there is like a coming back to being able to tell tell that story of myself and my ancestors my grandmothers but in a more empowered way mm. than those um colonial narrative structures were demanding of me at the time mm. so yeah it's a yeah it's an interesting contradiction because eh? in <laughs> some senses the distance is really freeing um but also inevitably you come back to yourself <laughs> yeah I guess it's sort of, yeah yeah but I guess it's also about who on whose terms are you telling that story or which parts are you choosing to tell like what can you yeah. what are you offering up um as opposed to what are you having extracted from you, I guess. Yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, can, finally, I, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about um, the Live Dreams Ancestry stream that you're curating and um, what what people might expect uh, when they tune into it? Um, it was so hard to do, just by the way. <laughs> <laughs> It's really challenging when you don't know who the artists are because, you know, Auckland's really small and I know half the artists that I'm talking to and the way that I approach curating at the basement is really relationship-based. Mm. And so you you have like a quite a long relationship with me before you even hit the stage. Mm. And so this was just like, whoa, I felt like I was flying blind a little bit. So I had to really rely on being a bit subjective about it yeah. and being a selfish about it so there is I'd say quite a lot of Indian content right <laughs> and I was just like oh come on Nisha and then I was like you know what I want to see it and I need to see it mm. um as an Indian woman myself so so um so there's some really great stuff in there that is about different aspects of Indian concept and and um I'm really excited about the one uh project that is about um the trans experience and looking at um, trans goddesses from India in Indian mythology. Um, I'm also really excited about um, the work uh, of an artist who has been working for a while on this with their grandmother in Israel. Um, and they've been working on this for quite a while. And 
I, what excites me about it is thinking about ancestry as something that's not far away from you, mm. but something that you are creating and living right now and thinking about who you might be the ancestors of. And I think there's something really special about that work. Mm. I think especially in the queer work as in, in the ancestry stream, I see a lot of future and hope. And mm. um, I was really interested in that and how it could be a way to by looking backwards, you propel yourself forwards, which is what I really um, loved about some of that, some of the queer work in there. Um, yeah. Is that kind of enough to go on? I mean, yeah. other, I think, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds, it sounds super exciting. And um, I think it's really always interesting, I think, when you put a curatorial provocation out there like like Ancestry to see, you know, then what comes back and, and all of the different facets that that um, opens up as a conversation. And it yeah. sounds like, you know, yeah, it's very, um, very diverse takes on on what it means to be an ancestor and, and thinking about it not as, a, you know, uh, something in our past that informs our present, but actually this um, continuum of time that, you know, um, yeah. our ancestors are in the past and in the future and we are ancestors and it makes us think about our responsibilities in the world differently, I guess, as well, when you think about um, yourself as an ancestor. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it's all, it was also really interesting observing <laughs> how the provocation kind of worked because it's the first time I've kind of delved into that, uh, that kind of thinking. And it really invited a lot of um, narrative out of artists, which in an experimental context felt really, because I'm a big fan of non-narrative work. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting to see how that might be invited back into experimental practice, mm. how those um, things that have been you know fought against for for quite a for a couple of decades of like trying to break free of narrative structures how they might be invited back and then reinvigorated or used as a as a tool to kind of further practice rather than something to be pushed to the side or to rail against is yeah yeah and I found myself really struggling with it <laughs> <laughs> it's I great like, I oh, mean it's a real <laughs> The real stories, eh? That's not very cool, is it? <laughs> what it is? I, know. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, but I guess you know, experimental art is nothing if not a place to sit in tension and contradiction, and yeah. you know, is <laughs> important work uh, to be done. And and you, yeah, I I would just say that I'm really looking forward to seeing how, how that plays out in your stream. Um, yeah, thank you so much for being a part of it. Cool. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. <laughs> Even though it's so great. Really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Fun but hard. <laughs>